0: Women filmmakers are few and far between. That vivid inequality is part of what's behind a heated gender discrimination battle in Hollywood that's been taking shape against the backdrop of the Me Too movement and the Trump presidency. This is TikTok. I'm Andrew Mock. Today we're bringing you an important interview with Maria Geis. She's one of the central figures in the documentary This Changes Everything, which is about Hollywood's reckoning with its systemic sexism. TikTok's Jennifer Zabasaja spoke with Geis at the Bloomberg Business of Equality Summit earlier this week. And this is what she had to say.
1: And so, Maria, part of the reason you're here at Bloomberg Equality is um, Business of Equality is for your film, This Changes Everything. Can you just tell us how
0: that came to be? So this changes everything. was one of five feature documentaries that got started after the EEOC investigation for women directors hit the news. And as I was the person who had instigated that investigation, um, all of these documentarians came to me. Uh, Four of them were directed by women and one of them was directed by a man named Tom Donahue. And um, he approached me and he was interested in doing a a very... uh, um, uh, sweeping um, and comprehensive look at why women have been discriminated from uh, participating in our entertainment media, particularly women directors and ultimately he ended up following me for three years and in the meantime, of course, Trump got elected and Me Too got started and all kinds of other things happened. So he ended up making this um, really incredible film, I think the most important film um, that has been made to date on this issue. And talk to us about
1: when when you decided to move forward with the ACLU and EEOC investigation, what prompted that? What were you seeing that told you this, this needs to be looked at?
0: It was really a matter of um, not having been able to get work for 15 years. I had graduated from UCLA Graduate Film School, a five-year Master of Fine Arts program, and immediately directed a feature film in England. And then I came back to Los Angeles, was repped by top agents at William Morris, and continued working really, really hard in development on multiple projects. And nothing ever happened. I didn't get any. And um, so in 2011, I looked around and I thought, you know, why is this happening? Um, is this my own personal failure? And indeed it could have been, but when I looked at the numbers, there were no, no women um, that were moving ahead um, for the most part. None of my female peers and female classmates were getting opportunities either. So I just started counting the numbers, I just went on to IMDb Pro and uh, later Wiki episodes and just started counting numbers of women directors and I found that only 13% of women directors um, were being hired um, to direct episodic TV and 4% of studio features were directed by women. And um, I was told by a top executive at Chiat Day, a female executive, that only about one percent of commercials were directed by women. So I took this to my union, the Directors Guild of America. The Directors Guild of America is supposed to um, over is supposed to protect the creative and. Um, Uh, economic rights of their members, uh, including women directors. Um, And so I went into the Women's Steering Committee and just began to ask around, um, ask what was going on. Um, There were, there was a group of women who were trying to get a summit going and they were having a really hard time pushing it through. So I joined together with them, and we ended up producing uh, the biggest summit for women directors ever held in Hollywood history um, in 2013. And it was at that summit, I had already been to the EEOC some months before and had not got, been able to make any headway. Um, but during the summit, um, it became clear that we really needed to go to the ACLU. So, um, that spring, I went um, on my own to the ACLU and over the course of several months, I told my story and um, then slowly began to introduce them to a small core group of women directors. (laughs) Through that, um, they started a, a really big um, investigation, and um, ultimately in um, May of 2015, the ACLU sent a 15-page letter to the EEOC calling for an industry-wide investigation, federal investigation, into systemic discrimination against women directors and that was groundbreaking.
1: And so that was four years ago. Um,
0: so, so that was yeah. four, four, year, four yeah. years ago, yeah. almost. So yeah.
1: then what, what are we seeing now? I mean, because like you said, in that time, Trump's been elected, um, the Me Too movement has really, um, Hollywood's been outspoken, so to speak, about um, the discrimination that's happening,
0: but are we really seeing any progress in the industry? The the federal investigation began on October 6th, 2015, and two years later, almost exactly to the day, on October 5th, 2017, the New York Times published the exposés that would galvanize the Me Too movement. Um, I obviously a lot of this came out as resistance to the 2016 election, but I think it's pretty unlikely that the New York Times would have published that article at any other time if the Clintons were still in, in, in power. Um, the New York Times had been sitting on that story since 2004, so that's 13 years. Harvey Weinstein had been uh, sending big movie stars like Matt Damon to um, convince the editor of the New York Times to, to suppress that story. And, and they did. Of course, Harvey Weinstein was one of Hillary Clinton's biggest donors. So it is, um, in my view, uh, you know, very unlikely that the Me Too movement would have happened both without the groundwork of the ACLU investigation and, and, and the EEOC investigation, um, but also that the media was emboldened to publish these, these articles.
1: And do you think, as a result of the MeToo movement, and you are still working in the industry, do you feel like the needle? is moving forward
0: are we making progress well i think the me too movement has been profound it was just a you know a watershed moment it moved this whole thing into uh, the global mainstream uh, media uh, and and public very very swiftly Um, and it really defined um, how the employment practices in hollywood keep women shut out and and sidelined. So the Me Too movement really uh, gave people a really clear picture of how Hollywood works, that it is a quid pro quo system. It's a system of reciprocity. I'll do this for you, but what will you do for me? And made it possible for the trading of jobs for sex. On the other hand, what I observed about it was that sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace are merely several symptoms of the core disease, the, the, the central disease, and, and, and that is employment discrimination. So both employment discrimination and sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace are protected under Title VII, but it's pretty clear that if we solved employment equality and got women e- to equally participating on screen and behind the scenes in our entertainment media. That that would go a very very long way to um, to to helping mitigate um, sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace. I feel very strongly that m- the Me Too movement. Was kind of a double-edged sword for the work that I was doing, because Hollywood loved it, because any conversations about sex <laughs> um, are um, sex sells, and I think that Hollywood um, found that this is something that they could they could handle. So I think that um, ho- that Hollywood was very happy. To take Harvey Weinstein and turn him into a sacrificial monster to burn on a pyre in front of every all the world um, in order to sort of absolve. <laughs> so, so I think that Hollywood was very happy to take um, Harvey Weinstein and use him as a sacrificial monster to absolve all Hollywood of its collective sins. And if Hollywood looked like it was solving the Me Too problem, the problem of sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace, that that would sort of obfuscate um, the, 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 the real serious problem, which is that Hollywood is the worst violator of Title VII of any industry in the United States, including coal mining. So, um, you, you know, Hollywood does not want to have the heavy hand of the federal government in there telling them what to do they want to control the narrative. When you think, if you don't think about Hollywood as being just um, a bunch of private businesses that make up an industry, but you think about it as the propaganda center of one of the most powerful nations in the world, if you think about it as the communication center, the storytelling center of the United States of America, then you can begin to understand how powerful and influential and lucrative this industry is so the people who are controlling this narrative don't want to let it go and when you think about it that little group of people is really comprised of white male liberals and if white male liberals are the are are the only ones controlling the narrative. If women are not able to participate equally in our storytelling, then they are shut out of our cultural narrative. And it's not just women, but it's conservatives too. It's conservative people of color, particularly. <laughs> so there's um, a real uh, necessity for us to, to um, allow our entertainment media industry, to allow the industry that creates in large part our cultural narrative to to include all of the voices of the American people. Because Hollywood, tells the stories that represent who we are as a people here in this nation and all around the world. And we all have a right to be part of that storytelling. We all have a right to be represented in, in in those stories that help form the voice of our civilization. Again, that was filmmaker Maria Geis speaking with TikTok's Jennifer Sabasaja. You can follow both of them on Twitter at Maria Geis and at Lorenzi. And as always, get all of your latest updates 24-7 at TikTok.